welcome to the Community Mennonite Church Podcast. This week's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Dana Olson-Getty. tried, as I have done at times, to, through sheer force of your own will, control something that is entirely out of your control. So a few years ago, Eric and I were on a trip in East Africa. We went to help out with a conference for East African Christian peacemakers. And um, this was a few months after I had given birth, and so my body was just full of all these postpartum hormones that had me on full alert to any slight sign of insecurity or something that might not be safe. And then added on top of this, I had a bad case of jet lag from coming from the US to Africa. And I was suddenly immersed for the first time in a new country, a new culture. All of this added up to the fact that I was primed for anxiety of epic proportions. And so, a few days after we'd been in Uganda, we boarded a charter bus with some Mennonite Central Committee folks and a lot of East African peacemakers, and we headed out of Kampala. We were going all the way down to Burundi, and I was doing all right. We had a, a driver who, he was, he's a native Ugandan and he drove like other Ugandans, which means that you completely ignore all traffic lights and you make your way through this huge, wild snarl of traffic by leaning hard on the horn and playing some kind of motorized game of chicken. You just keep going and hope the other people back off. But I was doing okay. And then after several hours, we reached the border with Rwanda, and when you go from Uganda to Rwanda, um, you change over from driving on the left, UK style, to the right, American style. And we stopped for this border crossing. Some soldiers with AK-47 searched our bus, and then we got back on, and we were ready to go. And as we crossed over, our driver hesitated at the first roundabout and announced with a nervous laugh that he'd never actually driven on the other side before. <laughs> and I felt this knot of anxiety and fear settle in between my shoulders. And apparently some other folks on our bus felt the same way because whenever we reached a tricky intersection or the bus started drifting over into the wrong lane, Several people would lean forward and say, stay to the right, and we did, mostly. So when we got into Rwanda, we were driving up these narrow, winding, two-lane mountain roads, and there were a lot of slow-moving tanker trucks. I think they must have had petrol in them, and they were grinding their way slowly, slowly up and down these mountains. Um, and there were very few spaces where there was visibility more than just a very short ways but you had to pass if you were gonna keep moving because otherwise you're stuck behind dozens of these tanker trucks. And so over and over again this whole afternoon, our driver would pull out to pass and on one side there's this steep drop off, on the other there's a steep uphill, there's nowhere to go and you can't see more than a few feet in front of you 
And as he did this, every muscle in my body would just tense up. And with everything I had, I was willing our bus to stay on that road, willing the road to be clear ahead of us, willing us not to end up careening down the mountainside toward death in a flaming ball of metal and glass. So maybe some of you have had an experience like that. By the time we reached our guest house that night in Kigali, I was limp. I was shaking with exhaustion. I could hardly walk. My body ached. Every muscle ached. I felt like I had spent the day pushing the bus up and down the mountains rather than riding in a cushy seat. Our group had planned to go out for a leisurely long dinner, and I know this. I know the Ugandan style of feasting, and um, this group of people, there would be laughter, storytelling, delicious food and wine, and I was so hungry. But I could not bear the thought of getting back on that bus. And I decided that my exhaustion was more than my hunger, and I wouldn't get back on even for the best food Kigali could offer. And so I ate the last of my granola bars and just collapsed into bed and begged off. I couldn't do it. Don't be anxious, Jesus says, about the things you need to live. Worrying will not add a single hour, not a minute to your lifespan. And if God can clothe and feed all of creation, even the ravens, even the wildflowers, Surely, God will provide for you. Many of us, maybe you're like me, are prone to anxiety. And some of this is just human biology. Lots of animals experience the fight, flight, or freeze response when there is danger. But we humans, we have imagination and insight, and we can think about the future, and we can experience now in our bodies the stresses of imagined future dangers that we never even might have happen. We feel the stress of things that never actually materialize as we imagine them in our heads. That's not to say that anxiety is um, not in line with reality. Many of us have experienced things or are experiencing things that are deeply anxiety-provoking. People that we love are gravely ill. Some of us have lived through traumas and violence, through lack and loss, and those things, we, we feel them in our bodies. They, that anxiety takes root in our bodies. Anxiety can be a helpful alarm bell. It can tell us that there's something going on that needs attention or action, but as some of us have experienced, anxiety can also become a cruel slave driver that keeps us racing on an endless emotional treadmill, trying to outrun our most terrifying thoughts through the days and the nights. We can spend a huge amount of time and energy attempting to secure our future through our own willpower, only to discover at the end, as I did at the end of that bus ride, that all this anxiety and worry have accomplished nothing at all. And those of us who do experience anxiety to a debilitating degree, and I have sometimes counted myself among that group, sometimes we need some help to get off that treadmill of rumination and sleeplessness and fear. Maybe some medication to help calm down those overly alert neurons, or a wise friend or a therapist who can listen 
compassionately while we talk through what's bothering us. Sometimes we just need some aerobic exercise to release some of that energy, or time outside, healthy food, time with people who love us, good, deep sleep. All of those things let our bodies begin to release some of this anxiety. I don't think Jesus is saying in this gospel passage that we should never feel anxiety. Anxiety is an emotion. It's a human experience. It's not good or bad on its own. It just is. But I think Jesus is telling the disciples and telling us not to let anxiety about the future, about our bodily survival, define the overriding concerns of our life. Don't let that be the thing that defines where your life is going. Don't let food or clothing or physical safety become the end goal of your life, Jesus says. Of course those are necessary, but you aren't driving that bus. God is. If you put all your energy into trying to drive a bus that you're not driving, you're in the passenger seat, you'll just wear yourself out. And in the process, you might miss out on an abundant and lavish feast with friends that God has already prepared for you. So some scholars think that this passage in Luke is in the form of an ancient kind of therapy called psychagogy. So psychagogy is a predecessor, an ancient predecessor of psychology. And this was something ancient Greek philosophers practiced, and it was adopted by many early Christian writers and teachers. It involved tailoring a set of reflections and questions and images to help students, to help shape this, to meet the spiritual and emotional needs of the philosopher's students. So they were tailored specifically to these people, this group of people. And the intention was to shape the behavior of the students by evoking the proper, the right, the best life goals. The idea is that if you know the best and wisest goal in life, you can then be freed up to spend your life, your attention, your energy, your focus, in striving for the right things. But there's paradox in what Jesus says. And I think this is where some of us get tripped up. I know I do at times. Just after Jesus says, don't be anxious about your physical survival, he turns around and tells us, strive for God's kingdom. And that sounds like hard work, push hard, push yourself. And if you're like me, at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's pretty easy to move from worrying about my mortgage and that spot on my skin that I really should have checked out to spiritual failures. That's even broader and more nebulous. I can worry about the state of my soul with just as much intensity as I can worry about my bank account, about whether my day-to-day -day choices are contributing to climate change and the demise of our whole planet, how I, my excess, is causing global poverty whether my parenting is passing down toxic patterns to my son that he will struggle with when he's an adult, whether I'm neglecting the people in my life who God has called me to care for and provide for, 
These are real things that <laughs> ruminate in my head in the night. And they're not unimportant questions, but being anxious, just running on that treadmill all night long, it doesn't accomplish anything. I don't think God intends us to focus our lives on anxious spiritual striving any more than God wants us to focus on anxious striving for physical survival. The wild and beautiful and terrifying thing about striving for God's kingdom is that we are not driving the bus. Not only for our spiritual survival, for our physical survival, but also for our spiritual survival. It's not our bus. We're just passengers. God has invited us to get on board. Soak up the goodness of God's provision, the good company, the conversation, the laughter, to get ready for this feast that God is providing. So what does it mean? How do we strive for God's kingdom in a way that isn't anxious, that isn't grasping, that isn't a little frantic? How do we seek to make God's kingdom our overriding concern, the goal, the end, the telos of our lives? I think first, and I'm preaching to myself here, we slow down. It's really hard to receive when you're moving fast. We slow down. We take some deep breaths, and we feel the gift of life in our lungs in this day, in this moment. We consider the lilies and the ravens. And I'd like you to, to join me now in considering some of God's beautiful creation. I'm going to stop talking for a few minutes and let God's creation talk. If it helps in this silence to have a word or phrase to return to with your mind, you might want to hang on to the words, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. So I invite you now into a minute of silence, and I will let you know when we're done. And please um, enjoy pondering these images of God's beautiful creation. Don't be afraid, little flock.
So continue to ponder. These are going to continue um, changing as I speak some more, but feel free to continue to ponder them. And while you're pondering the lilies and the ravens, join me in reminding yourself of our human limits. So I think stopping, slowing down, stopping, breathing deeply, considering the lilies and the ravens, all of that is part of reminding ourselves that this is God's world. It's not our world. We didn't make it. We can't and we have no right to try to control or fix or manage anybody else. They're not ours to manage. They're God's. We have to remember that we cannot. We have no right to try to secure our own future beyond any question of a doubt. It lies in God's hands. The most we can do is weed and water the little garden patch of our own soul for this day and wait and watch to see what God grows there. And then, while we remind ourselves of our limits, we also remind ourselves that we are precious and beloved by the one who made all creation, the one who made the stars and the universe, who feeds the ravens day by day, who clothes the wildflowers. That's the one who takes pleasure in meeting our needs, in giving us abundance, in feeding us. All this is another way of saying we pray. The way we strive for the kingdom is we pray. Prayer is the one active thing we can do with all the circumstances and people and needs that are not in our control who are not ours to fix or manage, we turn them over to God who is in control, who does have both the tender love and the authority and power to care for their needs. We entrust them to the care of the God who feeds the ravens and dresses the lilies. My friends, that night in Kigali, I missed out on the feast with friends. I missed out on the laughter and the friendship and the food and the stories. But I have been present at other feasts at God's table. There are other days when I have done better with being present to what God is providing in each moment. And I have been able to feast at that table, surrounded by brothers and sisters, filled with delight at God's generosity and abundance, and lavish provision, and the most beautiful and satisfying moments of my life have come in being able to offer some of what God has provided to a brother or sister who's hungry, and being able to receive with gratitude from the hands of a brother or sister something that my soul is hungry for, that God is providing. It is in this joining in to the generosity, the mutuality, the goodness of giving and serving at God's table. That's where we, sat, we experience the most satisfying joys and delights of life. That's where we know both our own limits and our own preciousness in God's eyes, where we feast at the abundant table of God's goodness. Amen.
thank you for listening to the Community Mennonite Church podcast. Our theme music is a setting of John Wesley's text, Jesus, I Believe You're Near, composed by Matt Carlson. Jeremy Nafziger arranged it for strings. To learn more about our congregation or to plan a visit, please check out our website at cmcva.com.